Welcome to Living with a Disability, No Big Deal. This podcast is for people who want to learn how to thrive with a disability. It is also designed to share insights for those who have friends or family with a disability. Brad Gabrielson, our host, was born with cerebral palsy and uses a wheelchair for mobility. He is a North Dakota native and believes life is about managing challenges with understanding, mental toughness, and determination. Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Living with a Disability No Big Deal podcast. My name is Brad Gabriels and I'm with my guest, Greg Merle. Today we're going to talk about a article that Greg found and brought to my uh, attention. So how are you doing, Greg? I'm doing good, Brad. Now, what's the deal on this article? Well, it's a it's in there. It says we have to rethink the penalties and the rewards that we identify as disabled. Yeah. The penalties and rewards of identifying as, quote, disabled. Yeah, interesting piece here that I think uh, deserves a little bit of uh, discussion and uh, introspection. The uh, author of the piece in Forbes, his name's Anne. Paul Rang, so we have to give him uh, the cred there. Exploring disability practices, policy, politics, and culture. So it just seems like uh, it would be something uh, that would be interesting for our listeners to to think about, to listen to. Just uh, somebody bringing up the ins and outs of uh, identifying as quote disabled and and the uh, topics and factors and uh, things that surround that, right? Yeah, I think this is going to be very interesting. Well, I guess we both consider ourselves disabled, although that really is a strange word when you think about it, because disabled means that you're like, if you disable your car or you disable uh, your Wi-Fi, it means that you, you know, you break it and it's useless, right? Yes. So disabled means that you are no basically longer, no longer uh, able to do the thing you used to do that's the way i take it well that's true i just think it's a word that uh that came to be just because it there had to be some kind of term placed on on that category of individuals so let's go through and take a look at this now. It says here the CDC estimates that 61 million, with an M, American adults have some kind of disability. Seems like a lot, doesn't it, Brad? Or very, uh, that is a very huge number. 61 million. That's 24% or one in four American adults who have some kind of significant physical, cognitive, or mental impairment. What do you think of that stat? Man, that's 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 kind of hard to in my mind. That's that's a pretty high number. Yeah, it seems a 
rather high to me. It's strange that one in four, that, that really, is a, really is a high number. It says, uh, such a high population should enable disabled Americans to wield real influence on disability policy and practices, as well as cultural attitudes about disability. You'd think, wouldn't you, with such a high population? Yes. But not everyone who has disabilities readily identifies themselves as, quote, disabled or thinks of themselves as part of the population generally understood to be disabled. Now, that's an interesting thought right there. Yeah, that, be, that could be because um, they feel they're not quite um, as disabled as the next person that they see on the street, like in a wheelchair. They can be walking with a cane, maybe, mm -hmm. and not consider themselves in that group, you know, as a disabled individual. You know, let's say, you know, he, he's got a Let's say he had a stroke or something like that. You know what I mean? But he's, yeah. you know. So. There are several distinct groups of disabled people who tend to resist identifying as disabled. Um, two in five people over the age of 65 have a disability. I thought that would be a little higher. But uh, this can include any kind of disability but some of the most prevalent are uh, partially a result of age, such as uh, difficulty walking, using a cane, a walker, electric mobility scooter, or a wheelchair, uh, cognitive impairments from uh, simple forgetfulness to more severe dementia. Age itself is not a disability but old age and disability overlap quite a bit. And a large portion of the disabled population is over 65. Yet a lifetime of viewing themselves as quote normal and quote fit makes it harder for many older people uh, with new impairments to think of themselves as disabled, even if they clearly do have disabilities. So that's one category, uh, one group who uh, look at themselves uh, and seem to resist identifying as disabled. So that could skew the results, but, and that just makes sense because people that are over 65 are typically going to be um, very independently minded, very strong willed, sometimes stubborn, but, you know, unwilling really to admit any kind of weakness, you know? Yes like a pride issue yeah that's a lot of a lot of us have that a lot of us have pride just like everybody else you know so going on about about 14 million americans have significant vision impairment it's quite a bit 37 million are deaf or have significant hearing loss 37 million yeah that's a pretty big number. This includes not just older people also, but younger adults, youth, and children with specific hearing or vision impairments. Uh, 
So you put uh, hearing and vision impairments and you're at 50 million people. Mm -hmm. uh, That's quite a, a voting block. You think about it. It is. It's huge. Yes. It's very huge. Many people who are blind or deaf are part of a tightly knit cultures that readily identify as blind or deaf, but sometimes are uncomfortable being called or considered, quote, disabled. You're blind, you're deaf, you're disabled. Well, evidently, uh, many of them, according to this article, uh, are not comfortable being labeled as disabled because of their uh, challenges with either vision or uh, hearing. Here's another group, people with chronic illness or chronic pain also struggle with whether they should identify as disabled and how to collaborate with the disability community. 113 million Americans have chronic illness, 113 million. 20 million live with long-term pain that hinders everyday activities and work. This includes long-term conditions like diabetes and chronic fatigue syndrome, as well as conditions mainly marked by long-term pain like arthritis and fibromyalgia. So, you know, that's another category. So despite fitting most definitions of disabled, right? Many people with chronic illness or pain question whether they should think of themselves as disabled or as sick right yeah i think that would be a um in their in their eyes they're probably thinking well i'm not disabled i'm just in a lot of pain yeah so they would have to really um so a lot of them don't look at as don't look at it as them being disabled they look at it as just, you know, being in pain because I have a lot of friends with fibromyalgia and you can barely touch them because they hurt. You know, you can't give them a hug. You can't shake their hands because their hands hurt. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, so. And a lot of them don't even have don't even have a, uh, you know, some people get a, a short-term uh, sticker for their car so they don't have to walk as far. But a lot of them don't even have that, you know? And to me, that's unbelievable that they're gonna have that forever. You know what I mean? They're, but nope, they're not, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. A lot of people uh, that could use those uh, tags, preferential parking, <laughs> are, uh, do not get those, like you said. Right. Because they've, you know, I've talked to a lot of people, they say, well, there's people worse off than I. Well, I say that all the time, too. When I talk, when I, you know, I even talk to you, I say, there's people worse off than me and you and you agree yeah I mean, so you know i can see where they're coming from 
know. Yeah, and and here it says, and according to this, uh, Andrew, it says, and the rest of the disability community community has not always been welcoming to people with chronic illness or pain, further blurring the question of identity and kinsmanship with other disabled people. Um, so kind of a, a click or a, a, a group, you know, if you're going to group the disability community into a group, uh, he's saying that the rest of the disability community has not always been welcoming to people that have a have chronic pain or chronic illness uh, as part of the group. Yeah. Remember that, remember when um, Janelle Bolt said there, um, there's a club that you never want to get, get into, but if once you get into it, we get some cool people. Yeah. Um, this is what it reminds me of a little bit. And so, you know, it's just something that they have to decide. They should come and talk to us a, a little bit and, and maybe we have more common ground than what they figure mm -hmm. and what they thought. You know, um, that's what I think is uh, so important about um, public speaking um, because a lot of people don't know you know, there, there might be people in there that have these conditions, but they don't know, you know about the disabled community. You know, they're not educated enough to make that decision. So, you know, what's your thought on that, Greg? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, a very good point there, uh, for sure. I mean, they're just not educated enough to, to know that. And of course, maybe some of them aren't uh, familiar, familiar as well as you and I are on the Americans with Disabilities Act either. So, you know, there, there they would have to uh, be, they can, you know, be educated on and maybe they can go on the web and uh, you know, find, find the Americans with Disabilities Act and read it. It's a long, <laughs> a long, um, uh, long, but uh, it's a lot of pages, but it's, it's interesting and very important. So, yeah, for definitely. Uh, well, speaking about definitions, uh, another problem is the conflict over different definitions of, quote, disability and ideas about who is and who isn't properly considered disabled. Some focus on whether or not they are, quote, officially disabled in terms of eligibility for certain programs and benefits, such as Social Security, uh, disabled veterans benefits, or special education services for disabled children and youth in schools. This kind of definition is based mainly on medical diagnosis or being on a defined list of qualifying conditions. Mm -hmm. You know, that would be officially, you're officially disabled. That's another, you know, that would be a medical uh, diagnosis. Yeah, but in some cases, do, do you think the doctors even get it right? Mm -hmm. uh, well, uh, honestly, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> 
like the weatherman, uh, typically not. But that's just my uh, my jaded opinion. Uh, but then here it alludes to what you were talking about. Then there are the broader, less formal definitions uh, about disability or disabled used in civil rights laws, like the Americans with Disabilities Act, mm -hmm. which include a wider variety of physical, cognitive, and mental impairments, as well as their practical and social consequences without necessarily requiring a medical diagnosis. So, I mean, when you think about it, disability can also be a social and cultural disability identity, you know, where people not only have impairments, but consider themselves part of a community or a culture, mm -hmm. you know, might be uh, by a particular kind of disability or by a degree of kinship with all disabled people, like let's say uh, uh, consider themselves part of the a community, say with cerebral palsy, say with a muscular dystrophy, say maybe with spinal cord injury, you know, kind of grouping together. Mm -hmm. uh, definitions and interpretation of disability are still quite varied and fluid, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. No. But also, but also, um, you know, we shouldn't think of people shouldn't, I should rephrase that. Um, people shouldn't think of just because we're not, may not be in a wheelchair at the moment, but you still have um, fibromyalgia or uh, arthritis and, you know, um, that doesn't mean that you're not disabled because you're not in a wheelchair and you can't join the wheelchair gang or community, you know what I mean? The group of people, all, all disabled people should be one big family. That's what I think uh, Ms. Bolt was talking about. And I talk about, we're all people, you know, and we all have a disability, like this talks about, I mean, what did you say, 64 million across the United States? Yeah, I believe 61 million was the, was the key term there. I'm that was an estimate, that. yeah, an estimate. I'm sorry about that, I'm mis probably misspoken, um, but uh, I think, I think, Man, I think this is, if people just have to educate themselves more. Yeah, oftentimes it comes down to a matter of, indeed, education. Yep, yep. And don't be afraid to ask questions. That's don't key. Afraid, don't be afraid to ask, where, where do I go to find out about... Social Security, if I qualify for SSI or SSDI or uh, state program for, you know, the insurance and stuff like that, you know. Um, so, and Medicare, social services and all that. Don't be afraid to ask people because 
Somebody knows. <laughs> yeah, you're going to find the answer if you just ask enough people. Right, right. So. Well, here's an here's a interesting topic here. You see what they're asking up here, Brad? Yeah, so why, why, so why do some people who, who deep, finally have this bill still hesitate to identify as disabled? Some people who definitely have disabilities, is that what you said? Yes. I'm sorry, I stuttered a Well, according to this thing, uh, this article, some are anxious to avoid stigma. They don't want to like, you know, they don't, they don't want people to look down on him or being stereotyped as, well, he's a cripple or he's disabled. And that's how people, they put a label on him and he's not individual now, he's disabled. Right. I think with that, with title like that, I, I think that they're afraid that um, people are going to look down on them as a being uh, not a not a um, a worthwhile person. I mean, you know what I mean. Uh, whether they're just because you can't walk doesn't mean or talk or can't hear doesn't mean you don't have you do not have any other special talent. If we didn't, the good Lord wouldn't put us here. You know what I mean? So yeah. So um, you know that that stigma needs to be broken in some in a lot of cases, and that comes with education as well. Or or um, you know, in my case, I like to go out and educate and talk to the people directly, and and doing the podcast helps too. But uh, going out to the universities and schools. And even some businesses, if they would like, or even some service groups, we can educate people. Them, you know, they can ask questions. You know, like I said before, no question is a stupid question. Uh, Greg and I both know that we've we've asked some <laughs> each other some crazy questions. I believe we ask some pretty strange questions. Yes, we have. So, but um, well, he's saying here they don't want to be thought of as weak unreliable, lazy, pathetic, or unstable. In a sense, they internalize ableism and want to avoid it by disavowing disability itself. Oh, I'm really not sure about this term here, but I've been hearing this term lately called ableism. Have you heard of that before, Brad? Yes, I have. You have? Yes. Well, but it says here... Uh, I don't quite understand it yet, but when I don't... Ableism, uh, it's a noun, discrimination in favor of able-bodied people. Example, we were fed up with the ableism of the women's movement. So uh, here's some examples of ableism, okay? Lack of compliance with disability rights like the ADA segregating students with disabilities into separate schools, the use of restraint or seclusion as a means of controlling students with disabilities, or segregating adults and children with disabilities in institution. Uh, ableism, okay. 
So I don't know uh, when that actually that word came about. Uh, I only heard it uh, recently when I was reading the post of uh, that lady that uh, that we're trying to get on the podcast, who was uh, the impact director for Crip Camp. Oh, um, she's the one and, with Andrea, the Andrea, Andrea Levant. Yeah, she's I heard that she works on uh, fighting uh, social justice equity. She's got a pretty nice looking service dog. Yeah. Let's just kind of read this out. If people can agree or disagree here. Um, it states, ableism is the discrimination of and social prejudice, prejudice against people with disabilities based on the belief that typical abilities are superior. At its heart, ableism is rooted in the assumption that disabled people require, quote, fixing and defines people by their disability. Like racism and sexism, ableism classifies entire groups of people as, quote, less than, and includes harmful stereotypes, misconceptions, and generalizations of people with disabilities. So that's kind of the, uh, I guess, the... Uh, the formal definition of that, as far as that goes, ableism. I disagree. Most of that stuff I disagree with. <laughs> We're able to do whatever we can do physically. Like I, like I said before, just because when the chair doesn't mean our, nine, our mind doesn't work, we can still... Uh, well, you know, and, and basically ableism is like the discrimination against people or grouping people into a stereotype, you know, such as those people or the weak people or whatever, ableism. Yep. Many disabled people fear the very realistic threat of substantial discrimination and loss of opportunity if they identify as disabled. Mm -hmm. So let's say, for example, they may be denied employment or advancement if disability status becomes widely known. So maybe they, Maybe they don't vocalize that or make that known. Uh, but as far as cerebral palsy is concerned, I mean, I was born with it. So, you know, I mean, it's, and, you know, I mean, you and I are both disabled. So we both have, we both have a, a, a job. My job is part-time, of course, but yours is full-time. It's, you know, I enjoy what I do as far as trying to give people in, uh, trying to give people things to make them as independent as I can. Um, so, so I, I figure there's a there's a need in, in, in this world for people like me and you to show the people that that we're not going to stay behind closed doors. I mean, because I mean, I don't. That that to me doesn't. I look at life as, hey, life isn't fair. Um, we're dealt what we got. You know, so yeah. You know, we all need a little help. Yeah, I mean that's true. I guess one other point here 
We'll go to the next section here is for some disabled people, disability carries negative emotional baggage they understandably want to avoid. Accepting the label is sometimes seen as an admission of defeat or victimhood, especially among people who become disabled later in life due to accidents or illness. So emotional baggage. They don't want to have an accident like me and they say, all right, uh, mission of defeat. If I say I'm disabled or I'm a victim, uh, clearly that's not the case with a lot of disabled uh, such as myself. And Ian, like you said, it's um, you dealt the cards you have and, and you move ahead with that. What do we got here? What's the next section here in, in uh, the headline? Is there a positive in identifying as disabled? Yeah. He says, there's a clarity and simplicity in saying, quote, yes, I have a disability. I'm disabled. Embracing disability helps settle exhausting internal batteries, battle, battles that distract disabled people from more important practical issues and goals. What do you think about that? I mean, yeah, simply saying, yeah, I have a disability, I'm disabled. I'm not sure that it helps settle in exhausting battles that distract us from uh, completing our goals. It's gonna, no, it's gonna be an everyday, everyday, uh, everyday battling to get where you wanna be, but that's more of a liberating thing to admit that you're disabled. And I think there's a lot of pressure off your shoulders, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I guess since in some cases that could be the case. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, it depends on the person as well, I'm sure. Uh, here it says access to disability related accommodations and supports are usually only available to people who are disabled and are willing to identify as disabled by asking for help. So in other words, uh, you know, getting access to um, accommodations available for people with disabilities, uh, support that might be available. Uh, they're only available if you are willing to identify as disabled. Right, like Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security. Yeah. Yes, financial support specifically for disabled people. That's especially true, you know, uh, Social Security, things of that nature. Yep. Uh, it says signaling that you are disabled is a first step towards connecting with other disabled people. What do you think about that? That's that, that's a true statement. Okay. That's where that's where uh, groups like uh, uh, Gigi's house, Gigi's Playhouse comes in. That's where uh, maybe even uh, Easter Seals comes in. You know. What's the other one that I, uh, I where where they rent out the ramps and stuff? Was it was that an agency that sets up Freedom Resources? Yeah, that's a good place to go to for a lot of information and a lot of different programs that they have. They have different uh, get-togethers for each other, write resumes and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, and of course, Gigi's Playhouse being the uh, the uh, resource center for Down syndrome, yep. uh, very very important organization. Yep. 
That's based on a Fargo, North Dakota, correct? Yeah, it is. It is. Other people with disabilities can provide invaluable practical advice and the kind of knowledge support nobody else can really offer, not even family, friends, or specialists, right? Right. Because like you said, uh, other people can get you, can give you advice and whatever, you know, it's like device, uh, knowledge, or advice on maybe what you've been through, what you've seen has worked for whatever situation might be, or being able to offer support because you're not just, um, you know, a friend or a doctor, you know, you're somebody who is kind of in their shoes, you know, walking the walk. Right, right. We've been there, done that kind of thing. <laughs> so, so I'm sure you've been quite a resource too for other people with disabilities. Well, I try. I mean, my, my mentor when I was younger was a lady by the name of uh, Dr. Ann Carlson here in North Dakota. Um, she was born with no arms or legs. <laughs> so, and she, uh, I think she had a doctorate or PhD in uh, education, I believe. So, so, yeah, she was a big influence for me. And so, and of course, well, a lot of people that I met over the years. And I think a lot of your people that you know or identify as friends or acquaintances uh, have come to you too, as far as being somebody who can offer support or knowledge or some kind of advice. Uh, yeah, you know, even being, you, the, Greg, being in the position you're in as an advocate, things like that, you know. Even you, Greg, you've taught me a lot from the time I met you too. So you both up ideas up each other we talk about stuff and you know so, yeah you know i think we can bounce ideas and uh suggestions up each other and next time we run into the same situation you know it'll make it easier you know what i mean so yeah you know here he goes in and he's he's uh theorizing on the question so why is it a problem if some disabled people don't think of themselves as disabled or identify as disabled to others? Well, he says there are several issues. Number one, it's harder to measure economic and social conditions for disabled people. For example, employment, income, and poverty rates, when it's hard to tell if we're accurately capturing data from all people. The other thing is he says it's harder to mobilize disabled people for social and political action. Like you said, that, that number of people is a very large voting block. Who among the disabled population can be counted on to defend a law like the ADA or fight to improve benefit programs like Social Security Disability and SSI if not all disabled people use these laws and programs or even per perceive their own stake in them? Um, and how coherent and significant can the disability vote ever be? Not just in theory, but in real elections. If we can't accurately tell politicians what disabled pe people think and how they vote. So an interesting uh, bit of information to unpack there. Yes. In other words, it's hard to mobilize disabled people because who can be counted on to defend laws and programs if not all disabled people are using them mm -hmm. or if they don't see their own stake in them. 
Put a little blood and sweat and tears into it. Yeah. Reluctance to the to identify as disabled adds to the divisive divisive confusion over who and who shouldn't actually count as disabled. It contributes to the constant inside arguments and anxiety over who may enjoy the fleeting fleeting benefits and pay the heavy costs of being identifiably disabled. Meanwhile, competition for supposedly scarce resources and attention skinks hopes of solidarity among disabled people across communities, different dis, dis, disabilities. Now, I'm not sure about how I feel about that. I'm sure you have to think about that a little more. <laughs> Reluctance to identify as disabled adds to the divisive confusion over who shouldn't, who shouldn't count as disabled. Is he saying because, uh, is he saying, I'm not sure what he's trying to say there. Are you... Well, he says it contributes to the constant inside arguments over who may enjoy the benefits of being identifiably disabled. So if, if you're reluctant to identify as disabled, Apparently, it adds to the divisive confusion over who should and who shouldn't count and enjoy the benefits. Yeah, but let's say, let's say a lot of people, you know, that are, like we said before, should educate themselves. And if they get educated enough to make a, make a, uh, a, a very, very informative, informative decision, then they should... Uh, I think that's the word to use. I think they they should uh, be able to enjoy the program, get the program that they decide to. Don't you think so? Yeah, absolutely. It's you know become educated, become informed, and become involved as well. Yep. Because education is power. Knowledge is power. It is. Theoretical question is, how can we all help make the conflict over disability identity easier? Okay. The thinking is, first and foremost, we need to acknowledge the conflicts over disability identity while doing our best to lower their temperature. Make sure workplaces, schools, other communities are genuinely welcoming and non-discriminatory to disabled people including actual disabled people in a visible and meaningful way, including disabled people in a meaningful way, helps signal an open door for others with disabilities. Uh, lower bureaucratic barriers to accommodations, especially in educational institutions and workplaces, make it easier for disabled people to get help without paying such a high physical and emotional cost maintain and respect strong rules of confidentiality so disabled people can maintain control over how and with whom they share personal information. People with disabilities shouldn't have to trade away privacy and dignity in order to obtain simple access and accommodation. So that's true as well, I, you know, keep I, the privacy. I agree with that, I agree with that. Uh, wholeheartedly, I agree with that. You agree with that a bit of information there, Brad? 110%. And as far as at the beginning, we were talking about uh, 
you know, maybe not be able to, um, some cases maybe not be able to work, you know, they might, they might be stuck in the rut, you know, not be able to get promoted as far as the workplace. I see more, um, thank God, we see a lot more disabled people in the active field. Yeah. Uh, I wish there was more. If, if I ever did a, 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 a book of myself, and if I ever became a movie. Here we go again. If Brad was in a movie. Yeah, I'd like to play myself. I thought you had some other guy. I thought you had. Uh... Yeah, of course, but I'd like to make a cameo. <laughs> like a Hitchcock movie. Yeah, I'd like I to think... make a cameo. I'd probably, I'd probably use. Um, uh, uh... You had that actor from North Dakota. Oh yeah, you're talking about um, uh, what's it? Uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Famous actor. Yeah, yeah. Just let me think. Has done a lot of stuff for disabilities. Yeah, he's from Minot, North Dakota. Um, Josh Duhamel. Josh Duhamel. So you want yeah. Josh Duhamel to play you in the? Uh, yeah, that would be cool. I would, well, I would love that. It's striking. The similarities are striking, you know, physically for, between you and Josh. So the only thing is, he doesn't stutter. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, he'd have to take up smoking as well. I think so. Well, I think he can smoke. He smokes. Oh, not other things, but not other movies. He smokes, but heard to stutter a bit. Well, I think uh, you know. You mentioned stigma earlier on. Yeah. Take away the stigma. Well, this point here is work to untangle the web of cultural values and assumptions around disability. So disabled people don't feel judged by others or impose harmful and misplaced judgments on themselves. We should all consider how we talk about, quote, overcoming disability or battling dis disabling conditions. And we need to watch how we relate disability to contradictory values like hard work and laziness strength and weakness, cheerfulness and pessimism, courage and apathy, you know, yeah, is what his point is there. For sure. I get it. The more we can all do to lower the stakes of identifying as disabled, the easier it will be for disabled people to embrace disability in the best ways and avoid its lingering pitfalls. You know, some people are going to agree with this uh, article or this information and not. I think it has some very good points. I think the article leans too much on the fact that disabled people are reticent or cautious or unwilling to identify as disabled. When I think uh, I'm not so sure that is so widespread as it sounds. I agree. I mean, because I, I think the, the, the real... The real shame is, I think the disabled factor is a wide range, like uh, people coming back from uh, overseas from, uh, you know, the wars that we've had and, you know, um, the BS, what is it, both manic stress syndrome. Yeah, PTSD. Yeah, B yeah, but we have a friend that has that. And, yeah, you know, and, and you can't see it, but you know it's there. Yeah. So that's the tricky part, I guess, for because people can't see a disability. 
So they see you and I wearing wheelchairs. Yeah. They see, uh, you know, there's obvious, uh, obvious signs of, you know, oh, he's in a wheelchair, you know, um, he must, there's, and, or, you know, uh, you can't see, uh, uh, you can't see a deaf person that, that is just walking by you unless he's signing to somebody or, or you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. I, I'm saying there's a lot of disabilities that you can't see. Like, how would you know that anybody has fibromyalgia or diabetes unless you ask, unless, unless you know the person? So um, I'll get out my soapbox now, but I guess, I guess that's the thing that people have to, we're kind of an easy, we're kind of an easy market because they see us in a four, on four wheels. Yeah, and uh, and other people, like you said, it may be a matter of where they're, uh, it's not visible, it's, you can't see it, but uh, right. it's, in, indeed, it's no different, you know, it's still right. uh, something that they deal with, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, real interesting topic today, Brad, I mean, uh, Saw this article just came out uh, uh, two days ago, yeah. and so I thought I would uh, on March twenty third or May twenty third. So I thought I'd go ahead and and flag right. that. It seemed like a good uh, a good topic, and so I think it was good. Uh, you had a lot of good points as you usually do. I think people maybe get a get a little benefit out of listening to the to these points and kind of may, probably spur some thought maybe. Yeah. Um... I'm, I'm hoping that they get some um, where they think about, you know, they sit down and really think about what was covered today. They'll, they'll get a better understanding about the disabled situation. I mean, disabled community, because a lot of disabilities now are hidden, so you can't see it. Right, right. I mean, there's a lot of people that have a visual perceptual problem like I do. I get my, uh, kind of like uh, dyslexia where you get your B's and D's turned around. You get yeah. your nines and sixes turned around. Yeah. That's my problem. So when I when I write or read, it's easier for me to listen to something. Oh. Read. Uh, but you can't see that. You see my, my disability which is with my cerebral palsy, I've been told it's caused my my uh, visual perceptual problem too. So I would be a, not a very good driver. Oh, really? No, I mean, and I jump so much too. So there was a, I mean, yeah, <laughs> when I, there's loud noises or yeah, somebody firecrackers on the fourth somebody of honks, uh, yeah, fire truck. That's it. Brad's in the ditch. Yep. Brad's in, he's under the car. Yep, that's true. Hopefully, he's not on fire with fireworks that have lit him on fire, like uh, like the Fourth of July uh, episode we had. But pull him yep. out of the car, call AAA. It's over. Yep. Yep, it's over. Um, but, but I, well, I, yeah, closing thoughts, Brad, before you sign it off. Oh sure, I mean uh, this is hopefully this will be something for you to think about. 
uh, people that don't don't know. Hopefully, this is be used for an educational tool where uh, people can say, I, "I know a friend that has fibromyalgia or CP." Now, now, now that makes sense, you know. Maybe you know. Maybe we help people out. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, the, the, the information we gave uh, today might answer some questions. So, well, it certainly may. And thanks for having me again today and uh, for allowing us to uh, reach out and uh, touch some people. So, yeah. And um, thanks for the, uh, the article that you sent me. This is very great and interesting. So, thanks for being a guest. And, Thanks for listening to another episode of Living with the Disability No Big Deal podcast. I want to thank Greg and this is Greg Gabrielson saying goodbye for now and God bless. Thank you for listening to this episode of Living with a Disability No Big Deal sponsored by Rollaram. This podcast features Brad Gabrielson who encourages everyone with a disability to live life to the fullest. Rollaramp is a global company based in North Dakota dedicated to helping people find solutions to accessibility needs. We hope you'll join us again next time on Living with a Disability, No Big Deal.